Hey everybody, welcome to episode 800 of the Big MX Radio Podcast. I want to thank every single one of you for checking this out, tuning in, and being a loyal listener. If it's your first time listening, welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Brad Gebhardt. I've been doing this for seven years now, and as I said about 30 seconds ago, this is episode 800, and I couldn't be more excited to be releasing it. A guy who I uh, looked up to, I think we're actually about the same age, or maybe he's a bit younger than me, but uh, still a kid that was absolutely dazzling as, uh, as an amateur. It's unfortunate that it didn't work out uh, as great as it could have, because this kid showed a lot of potential, but uh, I think that just speaks to the cruelty that this sport can be sometimes, is Ian Treadle. Um, maybe somebody that uh, some of you might not know that well, but after the next hour or so, you should know him quite well. And I'm proud to bring them to you. Um, I wanted to bring out uh, some really cool uh, interviews and uh, put something together for show 800. Unfortunately, a few of those things didn't work out. But uh, I'm still really, really happy to be uh, putting out a podcast with a guy like this. Lesser known guy uh, for a lot of those who might be listening right now. But I think it's a story that you're going to enjoy. It's a story that uh, is entertaining and uh uh, hopefully you guys uh, get a ton out of this. If you enjoy the podcast, uh, it's a free podcast that comes to your uh, phone, whether it be through Spotify or iTunes, or if you're listening on BigMXRadio.com. Uh, my one fee to you, though, uh, if you could, and I would appreciate it, um, spread the word about the podcast, make a post, tell a friend. There's got to be a like-minded individual that you hang out with that's not a BigMX Radio listener. I would love for you to uh, extend an olive branch and uh, let them know about the podcast and hopefully we can continue to grow this thing. Uh, I want to thank uh, Ian for, for giving me over an hour and a half of his time. We chatted for a really long time to make this podcast. I also want to thank uh, uh, Wes Williams over at Verb Moto for uh, making this connection happen for me and, uh, um, and inspiring for this in- interview to happen. And I'm really ha- glad that I did because we uncovered some really, really stories. So uh, enjoy the podcast, everybody, and uh, we'll chat again soon. Welcome to the Big MX Radio Podcast brought to you by Phoenix Handlebars. Wearing my Phoenix Handlebars hat right now, and I got my Phoenix Handlebars ready to mount on my KTM in the coming weeks. Looking forward to riding in, in 2020. This podcast is also brought to you by Medterra CBD. You can go to medterracbd.com and enter discount code BigMXRadio20 to save 20% off every single one of your orders. I am your host, Brad Gebhardt, with us on the line, a very special guest. He was an amateur superstar, a guy that you probably watched on all of the mini warriors and the Verb Motos. Lord knows that Verb uh, Verb Wes, Wes Williams himself, is probably going to listen to this uh, this episode 8, 12 times minimum. He's going to absolutely lose his mind when he finds out I had this guy on the podcast. He's a friend of mine. We've been talking to Verb about a half hour. We're going to talk a whole lot more after this podcast. Ian Treadle, how's it going? Hey man, I'm glad to be here, man. Hey, Doing thanks well. for thanks for making some time for us, man. I'm so excited about this. Uh, getting to talk to a guy who uh, raced and performed at an extremely high level in what a lot of people would consider to be the absolute pinnacle, the heyday, the 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 very pinpoint of uh, of like basically the the the, the 
the elite of what the sport was in, in throughout the mid to late 2000s. Uh, bikes were changing on a, on a yearly basis. Uh, the the energy drinks came in and just infused so much money and, and excitement into the sport. You had one industry's hoodies, left, right, and center, uh, flat brim hats, and everything in between. And smack dab in the middle was yourself and a ton of other high high uh, high end superstars from the amateur ranks that were really uh, making some noise and uh, honestly creating a, a ton of great content that was amazing to follow. I thought it would be a great opportunity to catch up with you and see what you're doing now. You're 28 years old um, and, and you, you found yourself in the gym. You've been doing all kinds of crazy crap, but uh, I'm really excited to chat with you. Hey man, it's great to be here, man. So yeah, like, like, like I said, like, um, like you said, I've, I've been, I still, I still train, like so I try to train as if I'm still racing I, so I'm in the gym Monday through Friday before I'm at my office job, and so I yeah I'm still super active. I road bike in the summer and the winter just ch- chilly here to ride outside, so no road biking in the winter. But the summers you'll find me on a bicycle and just yeah just I'm um, still doing a lot of motocross training. I still st- go to a hit a race um, once once or twice a year, supercross or hit, see some buddies and still stay in touch with all my friends. So um, yeah, it's been been good. Right on, man. Well, it's good to hear that you're still staying active, and uh, um, and you got you got to stay active, especially with this COVID thing going on. But uh, um, whereabouts are you located now? What do you call home? And Ian Treadle with an office job—that sounds weird. But tell me how it happened, man. So I live in Elon, North Carolina, man. It's just it's just like just east of Greensboro. I'm not far from Greensboro. So that's kind of where everyone's from north, north normally familiar with where Greensboro is at. Okay. Yeah. Um, uh, so I'm in, I'm in Elon. I, I work at so my my it's I work at my dad's old company. Uh, okay. Going to inventory control and something that I started to do like when I got hurt I kind of started doing IT max training and then we my my dad was doing some stuff in North Carolina more than more often than he was in Florida so we ended up moving back to North Carolina and I started working at my dad's so just a that'd be a good chance for me to kind of learn how to be a good employee. And just I never had a job before so it was something cool to kind of I was kind of into it you know do the job life office see what it was like and figure it out. So I learned how to become, become a good employee and then just kind of um, just build some skills from there to help me kind of get back, get my brain right to coming back from the injury. Absolutely. A massive change of pace for you. And uh, you allude to that injury that we're going to talk about uh, uh, throughout the podcast a, a number of times, I imagine. Uh, but that's really interesting. Becoming a, 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 new, like a, a, a new employee, someone who like – Everybody else, sort of, they get that first job at like 14 or 15 years old. Uh, you learn the ins and outs of what it's like to be an employee. And by the time you're an adult, you've learned those lessons. You probably got canned from a few jobs here and there. But you didn't get that opportunity. You you were doing something else. You were becoming uh, uh, one of the most elite prospects to come out of amateur motocross in probably the whole decade. Um, and... Uh, and Although that's awesome, it doesn't exactly set you up for life after motor- motocross if things don't work out, which I think is a really sad uh, existence for a lot of guys. Um, but uh, you were able to uh, work for your old man and uh, and learn those lessons. Tell me about that. Yes, I mean, like I, um, I, uh, yeah, like yeah, it is unfortunate. Like with motocross, like you're not able to get a formal education normally, like or go to college, like and race. So right, like normally, yeah, you don't find a lot of kids that are super bright. But I mean. Uh, I, 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 I stayed with, like, I always was into, um, a lot of tech stuff, so I, I kind of stayed involved with, um, like, messing with Xbox, and so I always had, like, a lot of computer knowledge, and so that allowed me to, kind of, like, when I, when I'm transitioning to an office job, I, you know, I knew how to figure out, just, 
the mindset of racing, you know, like what, what are you trying to do? Let's figure it out. Just don't give up to figure it out. Right. Just do the proper training. And so it just kind of like, yeah, I mean, at first it's a struggle, but it's, it's also refreshing to see what normal life is like is, you know, when the day's over at five, you're, the weekends are off. So there are some in working with someone else is nothing, nothing's your fault. Right. So it's like, um, there's no stress on you. So it's, you know, being an athlete is, is everything's on you. So it's kind of a different shift of, um, I guess just I don't know, like the, the mental outlook on this is, is a little bit different, but it's it's a little bit it's a lot less stressful. I'll say that. So there there are, there are some pros and cons of it, man. Like, yeah, it, it yeah, it's a pressure cooker being uh, at the top level of any sport. I can only imagine. Obviously, I skied at a high level. But that's nothing compared to what you were doing uh, with the Rockstar uh, Suzuki team, and, and that's uh, that's where. Basically, you're, um, you were the, the phoenix that was flying, and it unfortunately did not work out as far as a, a pro motocross career. Um, let's talk about that injury. Like, to take us through a little bit, for those who don't know, for those who aren't as big of a moto nerd as I am, uh, combing through all the old magazines, reading the uh, old issues of The Pickle and, every, and, uh, and play, Moto Playground magazines, um, you were slated to, uh, to race for Rockstar Suzuki, if I'm not mistaken, the, the, the pro team. Uh, moving up with uh, guys like Jason Anderson and stuff like that, and uh, and you, you were uh, like I said, a, a top prospect. You were you were slated to do amazing things within the sport of motocross, um, and that unfortunately got derailed for you. Uh, take us through your transition from the amateur scene, of which you were super dominant, and then move forward into uh, into to where things uh, unfortunately uh, came to a halt for you in terms of motocross. Yeah, so my journey with Suzuki started. I know it started in fifth grade, so I think I was around like 2001 or something. I was, yeah, so I was, I was around 11 years old, and that's where I signed with Suzuki. And so I was with Suzuki all the way through. That's kind of why I wanted to stay with him through pro. And so I um, was with Suzuki all the way through. Um, in the A class year, I signed with Bobby Hewitt's um, amateur team, Team Extreme. Right. And so then he, he had, at the time, he had a pro team. It was like a satellite team, which is like, they were like, they had on it was like privateer support, basically, that pro circuit stuff. And then so it wasn't a factory team yet. They were on Suzuki still. Right. And at the time, Baggett was riding for them and, like, Tommy Hahn. And then 2010, I won – me and Anderson were racing Loretta's, and I won the A-class. He won the pro sport, and we both signed for Bobby's team, and they just got factory support. So I um, I did an outdoor national for Bobby's um, – like the, like the um, Canada Rockstar Racing Suzuki team. Before it was factory support, in 2010, I did Southwick. And I, I finished tenth there, and then following year, like the super uh, following year, Supercross season, um, that's when they we got factory support, and that's when I um, I tra- training getting ready for Atlanta. I broke my collarbone, so I missed Atlanta. Um, I, I bounced back. I was riding like I was riding the best I've been riding all year because the test track lap times are super consistent. You can tell like when you're on a having a good day or a bad day because the track right. never changes. And so like that whole week, Bobby didn't actually want me to race and. But I was riding like phenomenal. It was a hometown race for me in Florida, Daytona. So I was like, I wanted to go so bad. So I was like, you got to let me ride. You got to let me race because like you can't. Like I was, I was, I, my lapins were great all week. I was riding super well. And so he, so he let me go down there. And then I just, yeah, on um, like second, uh, second qualifying practice, um, something. I, I, don't, I remember my first, my first one, but um, the second one, my mom seen me crash. I don't know. Like you know how you do like. You know, in qualifying, you do like one fast, one slow, kind of like hot laps. Yeah. Try different lines. So like I was just doing like fast, slow, fast, slow, and I was making adjustments on my bike, and then like on the slow lap, I don't know, dude. I'd some, I'd something happened. I, 
like endoed and like the weird like they have you know like they have like the off they, they have like these like normally it's like a double triple not these slanted jumps did you know what i'm talking about yeah I, it's, it was, I think it was that section and I, I i think i crashed in that section i endoed in one of them and hit my head and woke up a month later dude wow I suffered a brain injury. yeah so i spent four weeks in a coma that's insane obviously a, a major injury uh to the brain which is never uh is always a serious serious uh issue and and, and that left you uh with a lot of rehabilitation to be done um and a situation where uh, you basically had to relearn a lot of things as well um like that must have been a very confusing time for you coming as you like came out of that and then unfor- the unfortunate realization that uh, the, the the path that would set forth for you, something that was almost as sure as the sun's going to come up tomorrow, that you were going to be uh, enjoy a lot of success in this sport, uh, that came to an end rather quickly. Uh, what was, like I, 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 like, I can't even imagine what that was like for you, but if you can put it into words, um, the emotions that you would have went through as you sort of come to the realization that uh, life's going to be different now? So there's not really a moment of clarity in which you realize, holy shit, I just like, I just spent four weeks in a coma and it kind of like slowly, kinda, it's almost like me, it would be like me asking you like, hey man, what was it like to like open up your eyes in like the hospital when you were born? But you're like, dude, come on, like. True. Okay. Like, okay. What was it like for your first? You're like, okay, like, what was it like being one year old? Like, you're like, I don't know, dude. But like, eventually, like, somewhere along the line, you kind of like turn online, right? You like, like, four or five, you start having some memories. So it was kind of like that for me. It was like slowly, like, seeing my parents' face. I knew something bad happened, like, all oh, whatever. And then like, still, I'm like, oh, okay, here's what happened. I got it. And then like, I don't even, I didn't even know that I couldn't ride again, dude. Like, cause like, cause you, I'm so out of it on freaking all the, all the drugs I've been on for four weeks being in a medically induced coma. So like, I don't even know I couldn't ride, but. I, I like I was like I told my parents I was like dude I think I'm I think I'm over like it, I just it was it freaked me out it was like it was way too much like injuries have never bothered me before but like what I went when like going through that like seeing my parents like what seeing that I put them through something it really bothered me so like I was like before I even knew that like I was physically unable to ride I was like yeah I'm, I'm over it dude like I can't do it anymore my, okay yeah, so my, it was yeah. it was more of a uh, like regardless of where my body's at like you could have been in tip top everything yeah yeah i mean for the for the most uh, mentally you had checked out yeah at the time i thought i was like literally because like uh, there's a word for it i can't i'm gonna i I can't i don't know what but there's a it's like some sort of like where you um just deny or like ignore the fact that you're injured there's a there's a neurological term for that and so like i went through a small period where like i was like i'm not even really hurt i probably walk up i can walk out if i wanted to but i'm kind of here because like they're watching over me sort of and so, oh, uh, there's a word. I don't know what it's called, but there's a word. Psychosomatic. Word. Yeah, maybe. I don't, I don't know, but like, um, I'm not, I'm not sure. I, I went through a small phase of where I, I just, I wasn't very, I wasn't super aware of like, like what exactly was going on with my body. So okay. I just, it's kind of just like observing almost, if you will, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And like, and, and obviously, really, I mean, no, no one would ever, it's, it's hard, to, it's hard to really understand that because you can't comprehend it because you've never experience it but someone yeah. like i've got friends who that i've met through my experience with with traumatic range and they all would know what they people that have had it would know what i'm talking about or have a family that went through what i'm talking about but it's it's, a, it's something that's i think gonna be hard to understand for the normal person definitely yeah like like uh like you said like try and explain what it was like to when you were born can't do it um but uh like 
so quickly for you, uh, going from a super young age, you were immediately thrust into life after motocross. Um, a weird transition, an abrupt transition, and like immediately after that, like what did you do to sort of fill your time and, and start to uh, rehab things? Because I know physically, like you had you had a lot of paralysis in your left side and stuff like that. Um, like that that must have been a, a large undertaking for you. And and how long did it take before like I I, I don't know if you're hundred percent for like uh, as far as physically right now but like at what point were you able to be like yeah like how long was it before you were uh, essentially a hundred percent physically so um I think sort of sort of sort of kind of try to lay this out like best I can like to like no one ever really fully recovers from any injury like once you like injure yourself once like, your body's really never the same and so but getting to my point though like I have an older brother who's in the, in the neurology field and so he told me like right off the bat like when I was first starting to kind of like get back to where I was like, I know what's going on. Okay. Like I'm hurt. It's bad. When I'm in a, I'm in a rehab, rehab facility called Shepherd center in Atlanta, Georgia. It's like top 10 in the country for brain and spinal cord rehab, um, ther- rehab places. Okay. And so I'm in a good place. My brother's like, Hey, look, you know how hard it was. You trained in motocross. He's like, you got to train just hard in this. If he's like even harder, they said even harder. So he's like, you got to go like as hard as you can. Cause the first year is super crucial in a, in a traumatic brain injury for recovery. Okay. So, like the first year was like Monday through Friday. I was living in a, I was, I, that's what I did. I did that like freaking five days a week. I was, that's what I was, that was my job. Like it was motocross. I was, yeah. you know, I was training, I was learning how to. The brain training facility. With, just, yeah. It started out with literally me sitting on a table, just holding like without back support. Like that was an accomplishment to like ordering my own food where people can understand what I'm, what I'm saying. Cause my, my left side, like is so weak that like I can't, I couldn't, my speech wasn't very clear. Okay. So yeah. I mean, I suffered full on like, Hemi paralysis, hemi on one side, like just severe weakness on one on my left side to the point where, you know, my left side was like flaccid for a little bit, and it became spastic where I could start using things again. But I mean, I spent the whole, so I got hurt March fifth, and I didn't leave the um rehab, uh, I didn't leave the uh, rehab facility until July, like July eighth, and so wow. like I left on the team, and so like I wasn't even I wasn't even walking without like without support yet, like I still was really injured i still had like some speech deficit like that that whole span like i still was doing i still was doing like some intensive rehab stuff so like i would say probably two and a half years working my ass off before i felt like i was actually i was back to driving again and i was like living a normal life again probably two and a half years of like hard like training because like i did I, I i did most of my rehab in in um like in georgia and then like florida at shepherd center Right. And then the was just a matter of just working out and like training hard. So I like got to the point where I was like, it was so expensive. And then I was like, just start going to the gym now because at this point it's just a matter of getting stronger and kind of just like figuring on your own. So I kind of did as much as I could to absorb all the information from different therapists over my first year of like being able to work with therapists and knowing how to do it. And like, you know, where the resources were, get good doctors, get the right input. And then from there I took it on my own and I still do it to this day and I'm still you know, I still have like I still have a like I still have a limb, but I don't walk perfect, and my left arm is still weak. Like mostly just my hand. I don't have the dexterity in my left fingers, so I don't have much use of my left hand. But I mean, it doesn't like like I said, like I, there's not there's not much I can't do. Like, I still can ride my road bike, and so for the like I feel recovered. So like you, I can't say I'm hundred. Yeah, recovered. it doesn't hold you back much throughout like day to day. There's nothing that I can't do, so it wouldn't be it wouldn't be fair to say that I'm like disabled or or would like. I'm, I'm recovered enough to look, I could do it like 
call me tomorrow, but let's go do whatever you're going to do. Like I'm down for it. I'll be able to do it. Now I'm not going to snowboard and, you know, go downhill mountain biking and take a chance to hit my head again as I can. But for the most part, I'll do whatever else it is. I mean, I can do whatever else. I can go walk around a theme park for, for two hours. Like, so I'm recovered enough to live a normal life. So I think that's recovered in my yeah. eyes. I feel hundred percent. I call it recovery. Cause I'm, yeah. I'm living on my own now. Like I, there's nothing I really can't do. So I would call it recovered. Absolutely. Aside from uh, extreme sports, uh, you're you're recovered as, uh, as 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 much as you can be. Um, let's spin the clocks back. Let Let's go back to to uh, where the your story really begins with motocross. Um, you're from North. You're originally from North Carolina, correct? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So like my yeah my old tracks like right not not far just twenty minutes down the road from where I'm at now. Like, okay. It's not there anymore. But yeah, I grew up, I grew up in Graham, North Carolina. Went to school and everything. Yep. North Carolina. Uh, at what age do you get introduced to the sport of motocross? How does your I assume your dad introduced you to it? Um, what was that first bike? And here's before you start with the story. This is a, a I find very common among a lot of the amateur guys who ended up doing really well is it immediately got super serious super fast like guys go from like they, they don't race at all until like literally the next year they're trying to go to Loretta's which for me like it wasn't even a thought to even try and qualify for some of that something about racing in the states is like all right if we're gonna race we're gonna try and go to the biggest baddest race of the, uh, in the world and we're gonna do it next year um which is which is incredible but what was that like for you and, and sort of being introduced to it and almost immediately like did it immediately become something that you were fairly serious about so um my like i know I, like so my earliest memory like so i know i this is just off based off of like pretty much my parents like i don't really remember this but like i started riding around age around age four or five i remember okay. riding like in my backyard like my parents had bought me like you know like the electric like four-wheelers you can get at like walmart or something like, yeah the little shitty, Kawasaki like, thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So like, I had got one of those like back in like freaking yeah the mid the mid nineties. So, yeah, Power um, Wheels. I wanted yeah, one of those. Power by Wheels the way. thing. And so then that went from like I was riding the shed, but my dad was like, "Let's get him a PW50." So my dad, had, my dad was uh, my dad grew up racing for fun. Okay. So my dad got me a PW50 with training wheels, and we were he made me a little track in the backyard, right in, like in our half acre yard in the in the backyard in, in the neighborhood, okay. and then with a jump to. Getting then the training wheels came off and then I got like a Cobra 50 and then then we're going to like the local track and then oh we're gonna try to race the like next like next weekend and then I'm winning like every local race that we sign up for and then we're going to like the indoor series around here because in the winters what you do around here in the winters to go to the indoor series or at the arena okay. cross races and then that led to someone telling me like hey let's try you, you should let them try to race for Loretta's and at the time people were talking about like my first year. I qualified as an alternate, man. I I went to Loretta's. I freaking wadded up on the first turn, got run over. I I I got like 36 place overall. We hung up like we got like a we got like a sign made because I thought it was sick. Put it at our house. I mean, then we built we built then after Loretta's we built the track that you've seen on Verb and stuff. Right. So we bought some property and built a track, and then that led to like all of a sudden like I'm going to more. I'm going to Minios, and then the next the. Uh, I'm skipping around a little bit. So the the following year after '98, I went back to Loretta's and I won all three motors in a row. And I beat, like, going there, I raced like Baggett and all. There was all these different people, and people were like, didn't know who I was. And I won all three of my motors in the, 50, the 51 four to six class. And then that got me some recognition from Cobra. And then I started going, hitting all the major races, like all the 
the Texas Spring Nationals back then it was like Mosier Valley and then started hitting minios and doing the whole like amateur circuit and slowly picking up sponsors to where like just um it just kind of like slow progression it wasn't like yeah just kind of, I, I think it just like slowly just hitting more races and oh yeah it's like a slow progression I think man no kidding 36th overall in 1998 1999 rolls around and you go one 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 beating guys like Blake Baggett uh Zach Freeberg uh Zach's another guy I should get uh, I should have looking, on this are you looking at the results I am looking at it right now and okay. actually what's crazy is 10th there and he's no longer with us uh Dylan Slusser Slusher dude oh man yeah, yeah. He was in yeah, there as well. Like Nick Paluzzi. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah there's man. some heavy hitters in here. Yeah. Ryan Zimmer. He's he raced. And, oh, Eli Tomac. Never heard of him. Eli Tomac goes 31, 24, 25. So he was consistently back of the pack in 1999. Um, yeah. Like, uh, you just put the boots to him. You probably put a lap on him uh, every single moto that weekend at Loretta's yeah. 1999 yeah. so continue on with your story sorry I interrupted you okay I know so um, like I said I think that um, everyone how you mentioned Tomac in 99 doing finishing work I think people kind of like progress at different rates especially the riders so like as we all kind of start going like we all get, we all grow at different rates and so some kids are bigger and they, they're better in that class that particular year because they fit the bike better or something yep. so you kind of see guys going in and out and so like i was really strong through my um through my like going from king cobra 50s to 65 to sign with suzuki when i said around that's around when i was age 11 they that started with a 65 that was like it was just like the kawasaki 65 they just yeah they, yeah um, yellow plastics on the 65 they shared the the so, 65 and the super mini that year yeah, i i had prior to that one another loretta lynn's title on us on a I was at least winning motos on in the 60 class, and I was racing with guys like Stroop in like like the seven and nine class race, older guys, and I was like doing top three, so I was beating guys that were older than me. So I was really strong on 60s, and then going into 80s, um, I ended up I I did like a I did a like a six moto win at Loretta's one year. I won like both 85, 7 to 11 stock and Mon classes. Like I went six for six, like all six motos. You did wins. 2004. Yeah, so. Yep. Seven so to eleven, four. and yeah, Tom, like that same Eli Tomac yeah. getting second yeah, in all. all... Was in there too, like yeah, so, yeah. I mean, Landon Courier, yeah, there's a yeah. name. Yeah, dude. Justin Starling, Malcolm Stewart, Sean Cunningham, Austin Howell, Nick Paluzzi again, Cody Green. I gotta catch up with him at some point. Uh, yeah, like literally. There's some there's some crazy talent in through uh, there's Slucer again, Zach Freeberg, Zach Bell, like there's there's some heavy hitting names in in, in throughout like on this entire class, uh, yeah. and you were on top of that uh, six six straight motos. That's actually there's not a lot of guys who have done that uh, yeah. coming through and and just had basically a perfect weekend at Loretta's because you know. Like you can have a day of mud, you can have a just like, and literally, it's it's the whole country's fastest dudes. You got to be on top of your game, like for an entire week. It's uh, that's probably the one the, the crazy thing about Loretta's. Yeah, it's tough. It's yeah, it's tough because it's like it's like that one race everyone puts, everyone puts pressure on. So like, yeah, that particular reason too makes it difficult to perform. And so around that time, 
I was like, I was training with like, I was training around guys like Nico Izzy and so I was riding with really fast guys and I was doing a ton of training already. Like, like I was like starting to do like road bike, uh, road biking. And so I was, I think I was like 12 years old around that time. And uh, so I was already starting to do a lot of training. And so I was like, at, I was at the top of my class, like consistently beating a lot of the guys. And then um, I ended up tearing my ACL in like, I think it was 05. And that's what like kind of, but I think that's what kind of set me back, and I lost pace with guys like with Baggin and Tomac because they were they they all went pro with like 2000, I think 2009 or 10. Nine or all. 10, yeah. Because yeah, you so came like, back in. in I should have been on that. I yeah. should have been on like I was on track to be with those guys, and then I fell back. I, I tore my ACL and took off like nine months, and so I kind of fell back. I, I lost basically a year of progression. And so it took me a minute to get climbed back up. And so it took me to about 2009 to get back to where somewhat of where I kind of should be. And that's kind of when I started to get closer to where those guys were and kind of get back up on pace where I, I should be and get closer. And that's well, it, I yeah, there you I go. I, like a, I think I got a podium in the A class in 2009. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Big MX Radio podcast. It's time to pay some bills. Listen to this commercial. We'll be right back to the show. When we started Phoenix Handlebars only a couple of years ago, you know, we had hopes that we would develop friendships and relationships with the people who bought our bars. We thought that would be a lot cooler than being merely just a handlebar company. Moto already has a few of those. So the hope was build a brand that people could find that connection with. Um, you know, tell their stories, helps us tell our story, keeps Moto alive, keeps it fun. That's what we think is really cool about, about our sport are the stories. Writing is obviously super fun, but the stories that we tell to and from the track on the light tailgate, that's part of the part of the excitement as well. And when each of you guys reach out to us after buying bars and tell us how like stoked you were at, at the quality, the packaging, whatever it might be, don't think for a second that that isn't just freaking awesome to us because we know you had options of other companies that you could have bought, companies that have won countless world championships and sponsor all the big name writers. But when you took time out of your day to hop on our website to spend your hard-earned money, we have a little company that you've maybe never heard of until recently, your hard-earned money. We think that's pretty awesome. So when we got a message recently from a guy telling us just how awesome it was, to receive a Phoenix Handlebars package, that he loved the quality of the product, he loved the presentation, and felt like that he got something more than just bars. It wasn't like lost on us. We, we appreciate every one of those, like, those messages. Just wanted to say thanks, Dave. Your stuff is on its way.
Yeah, two thousand uh, actually two thousand nine. You were you were battling with. You had a couple yeah. bad motos in both uh, two fifty and pro sport. Uh, yeah. But you like seconds and then a a twenty fifth. Uh, yeah, getting yeah. So I had it, but that was like so I was starting to kind of like resurface a little. I was having good. Yeah. I was having like good battling with Dean Wilson, speed, Blake Baggett. My speed was there, but I just wasn't performing well all the time. Yeah, Did you and, kind of uh, see me start to make. Yeah, make some. I was popping in and out a little bit. Um, and then, um, what does that do for a confidence of the guy, a guy at your level? You know what I mean? Like for on a day like in two thousand four, you're basically untouchable for an entire week. Two thousand seven rolls around, you're fourteen fifteen on uh, eighty five modified, which is basically at that point uh, the pinnacle of mini bike racing. And uh, Tomac goes. One three one, you go two one three for a, I think probably like one point difference for the championship. That's pretty wild. Um, but like it, it, at that level, first is all you're worried about. Like and, and to not get that is was probably a bitter taste in your mouth. I mean, yeah. I mean, so it was just like I mean, obviously I knew I'd lost some ground, so it was just it was just kind of like a, it was just like I was just just I was just fighting uphill the whole trying to. I knew I was I, I'd lost some track, so I was just trying to figure out how to how to get back to where I was and kind of just consistently training and just working on it was mostly I think but yeah the confidence that you mentioned is probably probably the biggest thing that just just knowing that like I had lost ground and that they were beating me now probably affected me more than the actual time lost was yeah like that, that, that's that mental warfare you know what I mean like, like you yeah, once if you win six motors in a row it's like you're winning before you can go to the line dude so like I had lost that I had lost that edge when I got hurt and so to get that back, it's hard to get that back without do, without physically doing it, man. Like to get that, like I'm not sure that you can get that without actually winning all the time. Like I don't yeah. know if I explain that correctly, but it's a it's a mindset that just like I agree. I think that's what happened to Zach Osborne. Is that Zach Osborne was one of the most lights out, highly touted amateurs coming out in 2005. Like he 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 should have been the the next guy. Like he like for if. Honestly, like for all intents and purposes, his amateur career overshadowed a guy like uh, um, Ryan Villapoto by miles. Um, but like when it came down to performing in the first initial years of his career, it, it didn't happen. And then from there, it all falls apart. Whereas like you see like, kind of a fork in the road, Villapoto comes out, wins his first outdoor championship and, and you're off to the races. You become an absolute legend in the sport. Uh, it's I don't think guys can get it back until they actually go out there and actually physically do it, win championships, and do what you said. I think there's an advantage too, um, to like you see kind of like the rivalries in um like like Cooper Webb versus Adamson Cirillo. I think right. that there's an advantage to like getting beat a lot too early on in your career because I get a little allow you to excel at a later point, dude. Mm-hmm. So like I think keep you hungry. Like, some guys like myself. Like I might have, I could have peaked early in my amateurs and won those six motos. Like when really, like if I just slowed down my progression a little bit and did that later in my career, I could ended up being a lot better. You know, like I'm not sure that that you. I think it's good to learn how to lose, if that makes sense. Like I think yeah. you should know because that way, kind of being an underdog, you end up you end up being so strong that like if you once you go to pro and you get beat a few times, you don't you don't freak out, dude. You're used to you're used to being in the back of the pack, so you know what it's like to fight. Yeah, like, and I think there's a. I think there's a value in in hating that though too. Like I think of a guy like Ricky Carmichael, who, like if you ever saw him after a race he lost, 
his level of disgust with himself and like just straight up pissed that he lost was so far over and above the level of elation that he would show when he'd win. Like he would literally, you could tell he hated losing way more than he loved winning. And, and that I think is a very powerful thing. Um, but, and obviously like it, it would be such a hard thing to sort of like have like a slow burn as far as your success in the sport. You always want to be that top guy. Like it, like yeah. to say that, uh, it, it would it would benefit you by uh, having a like a like basically having a big slice of humble pie at Loretta's is 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 a tough sell on a kid when he's fourteen years old. Um, yeah, I mean, I think it's just, it's just the way it is. The way it worked out. There's no yeah. It's just the way it is, man. But like, what are your some of your fondest memories of uh, of racing with that 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 rock star Suzuki amateur team? Like that was the. Like at such a level where you guys were like head to toe a lot of the times in Fox, you had so much gear, the coolest helmets. You got Verb, uh, you got uh, Wes Williams following you guys everywhere you go. Everything's cool. Everything like uh, like the the One Industries hats, the hoodies, this that and the other thing like that. To me, and of course that's when I was about. I'm I'm four years older than you, so that but that was right when everything was absolutely at the pinnacle. What was that like? What was it being like? Basically, you're in the eye of the storm when everything was cool, sponsors were hooking things up, and uh, it was a really, really cool time in the sport. So I, my, I think like my coolest memories are when like, when Suzuki was really popping, is like when like it was like Millsaps and Lake Dillon, I mean, you remember like Partridge and all those guys? Yeah. That's when it was real, like that was, that was, that was super cool. That's when there was a lot of stuff going, a lot of bikes were coming around, You're getting, everyone's getting a lot of gear. The sport was like really throbbing that time. But like I think too, like the sad part about it is like you don't really realize how cool those moments are until they're gone, man. Like not until you're like sitting back, you're, then you're like, oh, that was that was really dope. All this stuff was really dope doing that stuff. You don't really often think about it when you're doing it, man. Yeah, like, you're just too caught up in it. Like yeah, obviously, like, and that's just like yeah. the fault of humans in general. Like we all end up getting caught up and don't think about the current moment. We're always worried about tomorrow or something. But it was it was cool though. Like like the like the verb stuff, man. Like I I met Wes Williams. At a Ronnie Tishner squad, Bubba Crosby's track, dude. Like, okay. A, like a Sony Handycam. And he was making videos for fun, on, for, like for Goat Creation, before, before, it was even a, before it was even a company, man. And he was doing like funny, like he would do, he would do like home videos, like for riders, like for fun and stuff. And then he was like, hey, man, like he heard we had a track. Then we had, I started hanging out with him more. He started going with more Tishner. So I started seeing him more at like Bubba's tracks. I would go down there and ride. And he ended up coming up to our track. He's like, hey, I want to start a filming, like a, like a video company. I think we're going to call it Verb. Can we come film at your house? We'll film you and Gavin. So he came up and stayed at my house for like a week. And him and his friends all filmed. And they ended up like, they were traveling around. And they ended up like building this crazy big company. It's amazing, dude. But like, I seen all that. I watched all that go down. I was like a part of it. I was, I was there when he was first starting. So it was really cool. And then now Verb is back. He literally came on this podcast to announce it after literally two years of me bothering him on social media of tell, asking when Verb, when's Verb coming back? When's Verb coming back? And he'd always say next week, next week, next week. Well, he finally called me about a year ago, maybe maybe 10 months ago, right, right as we just went into this global pandemic, said Verb is coming back full-time let's go here we go and uh um yeah they're they're like he still does a lot of work with red bull and stuff like that but isn't it cool to have verb back oh it's awesome yeah west west is west is almost like west Prince family to me dude. like he i know he sold a lot of um i think he sold a lot of it 119 shirts when i was hurt to raise money and or stickers or so he did something for me to um to raise money for my um rehab fund 
and see, so yeah, Wes has always been like Wes is a has always been like a good friend of mine, and I love that dude. It's cool to see him back. Super innovative and always a fun fun guy to have around. Um, like when I, when like at that level, and you guys were obviously you were like basically uh, between you and Eli were like one and one A for uh, like East Coast West Coast fastest kids on uh, super minis. Um, you'd mentioned that you're like like when you're in it, you don't really realize. Like, did you have a grasp on the fact that like you're probably if not the fastest super mini rider in North America at the time. Like that, that's, that's a pretty cool thing to think about. I mean, yeah, I definitely knew. I definitely knew I was, I definitely knew I was good, but I always like stayed humble. And I always like, I always, I always, I never let myself get too out of my head, man. Like I always was worried about, like, I was always like thinking about like where Eli was. And so I never really got out of my head at the point where I was like, okay, I'm so good. I don't need to worry about it. You know, like I knew I was, I knew I was good, but I never got out of my head. Um, what about the pressure of having to basically produce? Like you, you talk about the pressure at the pros; those guys have to do well. Uh, Loretta's and the the very few number of races, like the the Oak Hills and the Lake Whitney's, this that and the other thing that you hit throughout the the years. Like you don't you don't race as much as um, and maybe kids did in the nineties. Um, when you roll up to the line, you're expected to do one thing and one, one thing only, and that's to be, to most likely rip the whole shot and lead every lap. Uh, that's an expectation that I would imagine is tough to live up to. I've literally only done that once in my entire career of racing for 20 years. Um, what was it like to, to basically be sitting on the line and have that be the only expectation of you? I think there's levels to it. Like, right, like you can you um so like there's different levels of racing that like you experience while you while i was going through like to get to the point where i was and so like that being like loretta lynn's qualifiers you're like hopefully no one good shows up you're like so like there's that there's that like anxiety of like someone fast showed up you're like okay cool no one like that fast showed up so you're not like that worried about then you go to loretta's you know everyone fast to be there so you're, like, you're freaking out but you just you just deal with it because you have to deal with it man so you have no other choice then you go pro and there's a whole other level of like anxiety you're like holy shit this is a whole another level it's way gnarlier so you just you just end up dealing with it like you do anything else like being nervous to go to school for the first day or something just it's relevant to kind of what you're used to being nervous for man or or yeah yeah i i guess everything has it's all relative right it's all based on where you're yeah what what you're used to yeah i think that's exactly right okay fair enough fair enough um yeah, like obviously throw me in that scenario and I'm just like complete bag of nerves because A, I know I can't do it. Uh, and also I've never never been uh, never been at that level. Um, but who, who are some of the guys that you raced with and rode with that uh, either were a really close rival of yours or uh, like an absolutely lights out rider that uh, maybe we never actually got to see what they could really do on like a national stage or never never got to be in the 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 spotlight of uh, of a guy like yourself like who who's a kind of a, a diamond in the rough that people might not know about i've got a perfect i've got a perfect video for you to look up man so i used to train at this place when i moved to florida um i moved to florida around age 15 we um my parents wanted to move further south for the weather and then i the was better for me for riding too so it was just, it was just a good choice at the time and so we all moved to Florida, and I used to ride on a track called Hard Rock. Yeah. And uh, there was a kid who used to live there over the winter. His name was Ray Lebovich, dude. We all called him Russian Ray. And me and him used to do – he taught me I hit a freestyle ramp, dude. And we used to do all the free riding stuff that you – like now that's so popping, like all the stuff that like all the – doing like all the cool like wheel taps and like all the like – like the like the like the freestyle like type riding shit like like free ride shit we used to do all that shit at hard rock 
and I got a video. We have, I've got like a bit an amateur edit on YouTube just of us hitting ramps of me and Ray hitting ramps. If you look up Ian Treadle or Hard Rock, you'll find me and Ray on there. Yeah, and Ray, I think Rush and Ray always had like he was always like a super cool dude that I thought that was like super talented on a dirt bike. I could do stuff that like he teach me how to do certain things that I would normally never try on my own. Like different types of there's different types of skills. Just like you know, for skiing, like some people can just like some people can do tricks and rails. Some people can just go down the hill. Like there's different levels to. Yeah, sports and so Ray had a cool level of talent that I had never experienced before. That like jumping, jumping over roads, like over a fence, and like jumping jumps and like landing between rain ruts and just like just just different like wild stuff, like going up hill climbs and wheel tapping rocks and stupid shit like that. Like we did so much cool shit that that like was at the time didn't seem like it was that cool, but now like I'm like looking back, like, I wish we would have filmed these such cool content, dude. No kidding. It's those intangible skills that absolutely yeah, exactly. get people uh, mind blown. Like uh, uh, you, you see a lot of that stuff now being released where uh, like uh, uh, like I'm, I'm thinking there's this one uh, Graham. I can't remember his last name. He does a lot of like wheelie stuff on the on KT on Husqvarna's and uh, like just like stuff that just like. It, it's, it just takes so much skill and, and the appreciation and the respect for it is just absolutely uh, next level. Um, what would you say was, uh, what, like, obviously you had the, the, perfect, uh, the perfect year at, at Loretta's, um, but aside from that, when, what was your peak? Like, what were you most dominant and you were absolutely on top of your game? I think my, so my, my very last year as an amateur, you know, like I didn't really. There was no, there was no option other than 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 performing well and getting a ride and continuing the career. Like there was no, there was no backup plan at that point. Like I was like, I haven't gone to college. My my parents weren't going to support me to travel around in a van and ride race privateer. Like that was, I was always like, win a title and get a ride. And so like, that was that was a moment that like I was training so hard. Like around age eighteen, I was like, I have to get my shit together and like really start training hard. So like I got really really hardcore training and like I had a trainer I was doing I was doing different types of mental training and visualization stuff and so like I was I was probably peak um shaped like physically 2010 going to Loretta's end up winning that that A title and getting that ride with Rockstar so like that was like a super satisfying moment and then um getting 10th at Southwick my rookie being like a top finishing rookie of Southwick and then also at Houston Supercross so both my first um, professional debuts was was pretty dope and that kind of like that was like kind of be like oh that's sick i did it dude like i actually got like i made it to where i wanted to get to like it was kind of like a like a, like a chance to breathe for a minute like oh they finally did it like kind of back to reflect on a cool place to reflect you know absolutely it, it was such a really cool time in in uh in motocross and, and you were certainly you were center stage and doing extremely well and uh the crazy thing about that is that the, the bikes were progressing so much during that time as well um yeah like 2010s your last year at loretta's and then sent uh slated to uh to turn pro in 2011 where uh like for the 2011 season unfortunately that's when you get injured yeah. that's when that's what basically what we talked about uh, to kick off the show um like w like what was the transition like or or how were you approached by bobby hewitt to uh to like when you get the call we're taking you to the pros uh, this is what it's gonna be like, and then uh, from there, poster shoots, testing, and everything that comes along with it. So, if you recall, I I I started riding for Bobby's 
amateur team, Team Extreme 2009. So yeah. I, in the 2010 amateur season, I was on Bobby's team through Lake Whitney all the way to Loretta's. And so I was already, I've known Bobby for like over a year now. So I was comfortable with all the stuff that they were doing. And he approached me like sometime in the week at Loretta's and he's like, hey, um, because Blake Baggett had gotten hurt. And for the last three hours, I was like, hey, do you want to fill in for Blake's spot? And so I had, it was basically like I just filled in and raced the, I ran the, I only raced one because I, I got hurt at um, Steel City, but I raced Southwick and performed well enough that like I, I signed my contract before before the um, outdoors were over, I think. Well, there you go. And I'm also cool. noticing in this 250A class that you, uh, um, I, the the 250A slash pro sport class. You're at the guy who got, went DNS the whole the whole weekend. Brandon Mays, B Maisy, yeah. like the names in here are ridiculous. Um, and, and this is actually something that I, I don't want to put a, a damper on the whole conversation. But whenever I go back and look at this stuff, and, and even when I watch old Verb videos, is that it's it's a it's really cool to look back at like see how certain guys were doing. But it also reminds me of how many guys that had top level talent that some of them like they they rise and they 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 have long successful careers in motocross. But I'm looking at guys like the guy who won that 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 class, Zach Freeberg, with a uh, cool. like I don't I don't recall him racing more than a couple of years at the pro level. Uh, Lowell Spangler. Uh, Cole, Cole Martinez had a ton of great rides. Even raced up here in Canada, but we didn't see him for uh, like. But he's he's no longer racing pro. Jason Brooks, uh, guy named Jason Anderson. I've never heard of him. Uh, <laughs> and 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 uh, and AJ Catanzaro, who's going to be racing tomorrow. Um, isn't it kind of crazy to see like just just how uh, like how many guys are at that level and. Um, but once you get to the pros, it's, it's like a whole different ball of wax, and uh, like, only, like it's a bit of a meat grinder. There's a lot of guys that kind of get left behind. No, yeah, the talent was deep, but like I think if you look, I think if you look deeper into it, like a lot of those guys are still doing something, just doing something outside of motocross. Like I know yeah. Zach Freeberg, he has a track, and so like they're all still, they're they're all, ta- I think they're all talented. Like you see Brandon Mays with all of his um, his uh, his his music stuff is still he's doing well. He's like got a big following, so like. A lot of the guys are still doing something on some level. They're just maybe not racing anymore. So I think they all were talented. They just kind of like shifted gears a little bit, went a different direction. You kind of lose touch with where they are. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that that goes to show that if you're 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 talented and you are uh, you know how to work hard at something, and you find success at a certain level, at an elite level, you can find that level of success uh, in other things. And as long as you know how to apply yourself and, and, and dig deep. Um, is that maybe the, the, the best lesson that you learned over that entire uh, career of yours? It's gotta be, man, because like, like I said, I think, um, I think that the, the brain can do incredible things when put in the correct environment and under the, like the right principles and under the right guidelines, you can make yourself do incredible things you think you can do, but it's all about, right. Like we talked about, you know, with the same mindset for motocross, like keep finding that, like that happy medium balance, the flow state between stress and boredom. And so I think it's just all, yeah, you, it's all about mindset. I think. I think that people that are going to dirt just happen. People that were going to dirt bike just happen to start riding. That's the first thing they got into, so that's what they stuck with. Wow. It could be good in anything. I, if you think about it. 
I, and I, I completely agree with you. Uh, before I let you go here on the Big MX Radio podcast, and I really appreciate you making all the time for us that you have and, and sharing your story, is uh, I need your best, maybe even two of your best, Wes Williams stories. Uh, maybe one where he was like, you, you, you can like, you can throw him under the bus at one point, or at another time where he was a pretty awesome so, guy. I got one, man. We so every time, like when I had the track in North Carolina, we had the, when we had the track in North Carolina that we all rode at. We were super into paintball, dude. Like we had paintball courses, like set up all over the property, and so yes. we always it would always would be like. I had like a real good gun. It always would be like convincing someone who was there to use like to play with us with a shitty gun. Just let us shoot the shit, like come up, dude, or something. And so Wes just wore like a ski, like a ski mask with motocross goggles. We didn't have a, we didn't have a helmet for him, and he got shot in the mouth hole. I think, dude, like it went through. He <laughs> went in the mouth. Yeah. Oh. I think I'm pretty sure. I think it hit him in the mouth. I think that was him. Someone hit him in the mouth. I think it was Wes, dude. Oh man, I'm gonna have to text him about that. Um, that's crazy, dude. And it's amazing to see to see that you have so many amazing memories within the sport of motocross. You can look back fondly and uh, and and take the lessons learned to to continue to be successful at uh, what you're doing now and what you're gonna do in the future. I think that uh, there's a bright future for you, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it. Yeah, I think you're right. It's all about just like I think it's just about keeping yourself healthy, keeping the bot the thing you put your body and brain in the right place, you can pretty much get to do whatever you want to do. That's a fantastic lesson, man. Uh, what would you say? Well, the last thing I last question I have for you is what was what would be the best piece of advice that you would have for a young up and coming uh, motocross racer, whether they're they're wanting to get to the Loretta Lynn's uh, um, level, or maybe they're already at that level and and they're looking to to really go elite and, and and make that next step to turn pro. What would you if you had if you had a moment to to say something to the, that person? What would you what would you say? So I do a ton of motocross coaching, and I always tell like like I love my favorite guys were little people, just like younger kids that like are just doing it for fun and like aren't really out to like win. I'm just like. Like keep it fun and remember that everyone starts out at a point where they like everybody started out at some point where they suck dude and that's you yeah. really think about it like everyone started out at a point where they had no idea what they were doing like every guy used to on tv got on a dirt bike at one point and was like what the hell do i even do they had no idea what to do and now they're now they're gnarly so it's like we all start at the same level so you should, technically anybody could really get there if they just put in the proper the proper work and the, spend the proper time and take the right steps in the right direction they could get there so there's like like there's no no one is gonna there's no way for me or anyone else to tell someone that they can't do it so I, i'm always like there's a reason why you can't be good yeah given the you can be as good as you want to be be patient you know, put in the work and uh, and good things happen when, when you do that and just close your eyes and grind dude yeah yeah, that that's another thing. I like I've 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 said that tons of times, especially when it, when it comes to fitness. Like people always want to like they want to know how fit they're gonna get and how quickly they're gonna get there. They want to know it for sure. When like for me, it's all about literally like put your head down, work like hell, and when you pop your head up to see where you where you've come, like you're gonna be you're gonna be like but and you're gonna be amazed with how far you've come. But but don't expect it to happen overnight. You know what I mean? Like like. Find out what your body would look like after a hundred workouts, but don't look, don't like look in the mirror or, or don't take inventory of what where, where you're at until you've done that hundred workouts. Because so many people do like one set of crunches, they look down expecting to see a set of abs, and it's not going to be there. Yeah, I think it's just I think it's um 
patience, dude. You gotta you gotta build a foundation, and you gotta you gotta be consistent. You gotta be patient. Awesome, man. Well, uh, this has been fantastic. So much good content, and so much uh, um, like great just. A great conversation with you. I hope a lot of people listen to this. I hope they get as much as I did out of the conversation because if that's the case, then we might have changed some people's lives here. Um, this is this has been great. I think we're definitely going to have to make you a repeat offender. Maybe we get you and Wes on the show at the same time at some point. That would be absolutely bonkers. Uh, I want to see that happen. But uh, this has been fantastic, and I really appreciate the time. Brad, thank you so much for having me, man. I had a great time talking to you, dude. Let's do it again. Let's do it again, my friend. You don't hang up just yet, but for podcast sake, we're going to cut it off right there. Well, there you have it. That is episode 800 of the Big MX Radio podcast. We are nowhere near finished because we have so much work to do uh, and so many stories to still uncover. But uh, we're looking forward right now to Orlando 2. Really looking forward to this track. It's the same track as last weekend, but brand new 250 class. Uh, and it's always interesting to, to me to see how guys uh, attack things uh, the second time around with some um, new data and, and this, that, and other thing. But I hope you guys enjoyed that interview with Ian Treadle. Uh, if you did, I hope that you'll uh, consider sharing it with a like-minded friend um, and uh, or putting it on your, your story posts. I love the story posts. Uh, for the guys who've done that, like uh, um, Sam, um, Samuel, no, Sam Daniel, uh, you guys have been awesome, um, fantastic guys. Uh, with sharing it on your um, sharing it on your story posts and stuff like that, I always reshare them on mine. Uh, I would really appreciate it if you guys can do that because it spreads the word about Big MX Radio podcasts, and uh, um, I just really appreciate it. It's that pat on the back that keeps me going, and uh, I, I love to know that you guys are enjoying this stuff uh, and enjoying the content. And I'm always up for uh, um, bench racing or even uh, some requests. Uh, if you guys aren't hearing enough of something that you want to hear uh, on one of the other podcasts, not hearing something that you want to hear on, on this podcast, Send me a direct message and say, hey, I, I want to hear more about this. And uh, I guarantee I will go hunt that stuff out for you guys. So, um, as always, thanks for listening. And we'll uh, chat again soon. Have a great rest of your week. And uh, also have a great weekend.